Hello and welcome to the Rogers Brief for March 10th, 2023. I'm Adam Rogers. Thank you for watching and thank you for listening. I want to give a shout out to those that uh, I was spending some time with today at the uh, Applied Forensic Psychology at St. of X Day today at uh, the Schwartz School of Business at St. of X University, hosted by uh, Dr. Margot Watt, uh, professor at St. of X, who uh, coordinated the day. Uh, team behind her of course but pretty interesting stuff uh, including a presentation from my cousin uh, Meg Turns, uh, Dr. Meg Turns who's a, a psychology professor, forensic psychology professor at uh, St. Mary's University. Uh, so there were some uh, interesting presentations, uh, just uh, list a couple of them here. I have the the program for the uh, for the day and it was uh, started with Dr. Watt giving an introduction Donna Stevens from Correctional Service uh, Canada on Aboriginal uh, offenders in the system. Uh, Jessica Doyle uh, on from the UNB on the uh, domestic violence courts. Some interesting stuff there. Uh, Dr. Turns on psychopathy and deception, which I'll talk about in a second. Uh, uh, Marianne Campbell as well after that uh, from UNB on first responder psychological health. Uh, then it was lunch and some awards uh, given out, and then Hannah Stewart on a uh, characteristics of minor attracted persons in the community, uh, Angelina McClellan on uh, legal response to women who co-offend violently with an intimate partner, uh, Peter Stewart, uh, correctional education impact, obstacles and solutions, and then there was an alumni panel. So. Some interesting stuff. I didn't get to hear all of the afternoon presentations, but the morning presentations were uh, quite interesting. And uh, uh, Dr. Dr. Turns, the psychopathy and deception. So it was liars, right? Psychopaths, are they good liars? Do they lie a lot? Well, the yes, uh, no surprise, I guess, in the sense that they lie a lot. Uh, strong correlation. And usually they lie for their own uh, self-interest, not the interest of others. Sometimes... Normal people, non-psychopaths, will uh, lie that are other other directed. In other words, so if you lie about somebody's outfit being nice, well, that's to benefit them, not you. Uh, psychopaths only really lie generally to benefit themselves. The good news of that is that psychopaths tend uh, not to be uh, better liars than most people, and they don't tend to become better liars even through practice because they tend at the same time also to be very bad learners, not very good at learning from what lies seem to be effective and methodologies and all that sort of stuff. So uh, anyway, interesting day at, uh, at St. of X today. Appreciated the invitation from uh, Dr. Watt. All right, so uh, a couple other stories uh, just kind of caught my eye. A big one uh, came out, the news came out today, the decision yesterday, and this is in the Mass Casualty Commission and it was a decision from Judge Halfpenny McQuarrie, who actually, uh, coincidentally, happened to be at the uh, Applied Forensic Psychology at St. of X Day for a little while there this morning, although I didn't, didn't talk to her, obviously, about this uh, decision that she released yesterday. This was uh, the last of the, uh, the CBC News applications, and the applications involved the uh, search warrants for Gabriel Wartman's properties. And so when the search warrants were uh, made right away, police went in to search the properties. The information that goes into justifying those search warrants are called an information to obtain. 
those in on where there's an ongoing investigation or privacy concerns over people's information much of the information in these documents which are by default public documents much of that information nevertheless gets redacted and so a news organization looking to get these uh, ITOs informations to obtain about the killer Gabriel Wortman would have seen very little and so these media organizations applied to the court to have those redacted portions uh, unredacted and so now the final one uh, final decision revealing now most almost all of the information the only stuff that's been continued to be redacted as sort of personal information, things that might be used by people to, you know, do conduct identity theft, that sort of thing. That information is still redacted, but other details, uh, you know, which has all come out, of course, during the Mass Casualty Commission proceedings, uh, those, uh, those details are now unredacted almost entirely. So interesting, I uh, haven't read the actual decision yet uh, because it's not publicized on the, uh, on the website of the courts or on Canley, but uh, when I do get a look through it, I'll, I'll see. Interested to see how much of the decision involves a, a look back at the point in time when the warrants were made, which was, you know, CBC asked for these 10 days after the killings. How much of the judge's analysis is going to involve going back to that time frame and saying well this should never have been redacted in the first place uh, because now that it's been publicized in other forums of course the justification for continuing to redact is, is much different so okay I'll take a look at that and uh, and be reporting back on that next week for sure if not earlier than that uh, no doubt uh, Jordan Bonaparte and Paul Palango will have a few things to say about that too in the nighttime podcast, although that's not, uh, we're not doing that this week either, given the March break. So uh, we'll talk about that when the decision uh, comes out. A couple of other just smaller things. I want to talk about Tim Hortons. Uh, I want to talk about the Kevin O'Brien case in Nova Scotia, and I want to talk about the Tracy Kitsch appeal. But before I get to those, which will take a little bit longer, uh, a couple of quick things. There was an interesting decision out of Quebec, uh, Justice. Galliat Satos said uh, this is a case where he said he wished he could literally throw out the case, like take the file and throw it out the window. Uh, this was a neighbor dispute in, in Montreal and uh, it involved, well, some allegations back and forth, but the only ones that the judge accepted uh, from the defendant's perspective, who was a 45-year-old uh, teacher, mild-mannered, all that sort of stuff, was that he gave the finger to his neighbor. Now, the neighbor, as it turned out from the decision, seemed to be kind of terrorizing the, the neighbors and the kids and all this stuff. And so this guy gave uh, the finger, the middle finger, to his neighbor. The neighbor called the police and complained, alleged some other things that the judge didn't believe, uh, but he was left with this, and he said, he said it was every Canadian's God-given right to give someone the finger, and that it is not criminal harassment to give somebody the finger. He said it may not be civil, may not be polite, may not be gentlemanly, but it is not criminal. So I thought that was kind of an entertaining thing. It made the news uh, this week. Now, I will say, giving the finger can be a criminal offense uh, under one other circumstance, which is if you have a non-contact provision with 
someone. This is an after, you know, if you've been sentenced and one of your, the conditions of your probation is, or, or an undertaking prior to a plea, if you have an undertaking or a condition on your probation not to contact somebody and you give them the finger, well, that is communication. And that is a form of communication, in which case that could be a criminal offense, but that wasn't the case here. Okay, so that was an entertaining thing. Other thing that was jumped in the news, a brief thing, is uh, Tiger Woods. This is not Tiger Woods himself, but uh, Tiger Woods, apparently, when he starts dating somebody, has them sign a non-disclosure agreement. Non-disclosure agreements have become in, uh, more prominently in the news in the last few months, certainly, and uh, in Nova Scotia, this has become something of a political issue on uh, sexual abuse cases, human rights cases, where people are signing NDAs, and, you know, as the question is, is that in the public interest to have that? Well, here is an ex-girlfriend, Erica Herman, uh, of uh, Tiger Woods, and she, in 2017, was forced uh, to sign an NDA, saying that she can't talk about anything to do with Tiger Woods. Well, she's not accusing Tiger Woods of doing anything, but she's accusing somebody else of it, and feels, or her lawyer feels, that this NDA is preventing her from making a complaint or uh, doing anything, uh, talking about this other uh, person, this other accusation. And so she's gone to court to have that NDA overturned. So interesting things, these uh, non-disclosure agreements are being attacked and analyzed in different jurisdictions. And so we'll see uh, see where that takes, takes things. All right, um, next thing I'll deal with quickly uh, two other quick stories. One is this uh, Alison Holtoff case out of a Amherst, the Colchester Regional Hospital. She has sued the hospital and the health authority for, uh, well, her family has, for her death after seven hours waiting in the emergency room. I talked about that uh, last week or the week before, and now the only news is that the province has filed a defense. They are defending the case. That's no surprise in a legal sense, maybe people will be offended that the province is not just accepting responsibility and, you know, agreeing that they didn't meet the standard. They're saying in their defense that they did meet the reasonable standard that would apply to an emergency room situation. They triaged and all these things. But what they, so, but their defense is basically a blanket denial. And that's not unusual for a statement of defense to just say, uh, no, none of that happened, prove it. Well, that's what they're doing here. Typically, you would want in a statement of defense to present some alternative version of events. Uh, but, you know, if the version of events, that's if it's a factual argument. This is, I guess, uh, to me, more of a legal argument to say, well, we know what happened uh, within reason. There will be some disputes, I'm sure, as to details, but we generally know what happened. She was there for seven hours. There were complaints made, and she ended up dying. Well, the question is more of a legal question is, did that fall below the standard of, uh, of you know, a hospital, an emergency room under those circumstances? And that will be a legal argument more than a factual one. All right, so we'll see how that develops over time. I'm sure that will continue to make the news as things uh, develop. Last one, a quick one. I just uh, saw this this week. This is out of British Columbia. Uh, at the, uh, the lawyer there, Kyla Lee, is speaking out against the Insurance Corporation of British Columbia. Uh, they had a distracted driving video that they put out, and it was about phones and wondering, you know, all right, if you... 
have a phone and you're using it, well, that's distracted driving and the, the law is the same way in Nova Scotia. But the insurance uh, corporation of British Columbia put out a video that suggested even if you have the phone on the seat next to you or in the cup holder or something like that, that is also uh, illegal and distracted driving, uh, which is not the case. And Kyla Lee uh, made a comment about that. Same would apply in Nova Scotia. I'd say probably across the country that if you have a phone and you're not using it, it's just sitting there next to you, that's certainly not uh, a basis to get, to lay a charge. Some potential confusion for officers laying these charges and, uh, and the public, so uh, good for uh, Kyla Lee to uh, attempt at least to clear that up. Okay, so uh, talk about the three, the three larger cases that are going on in Nova Scotia, uh, typically or primarily although this Tim Hortons one is going across the country so you've heard this in the news probably this week some people uh, thought they this is roll up the rim season of course you don't roll up the rim anymore it's just an app which is uh, takes a lot of the fun out of the contest but Tim Hortons has really taken the fun out of the contest because now they, they have these instant $10,000 winners daily winners and several people, the, the latest CTV article that I read had three winners. I'm sure there are more across the country. It's supposed to be one a day. And there were multiple people that were pulled up the app. Yes, you're an instant winner. Uh, contact this. Of course, there's an asterisk there and, and all these, you know, rules and potential, uh, you know. But they look like they're a winner. And Tim Hortons has said, nope, sorry, that was a glitch on our side, and you are not a winner. Well, uh, I have some questions about this. First of all, a practical business question might be, how many people mistakenly got this message? And, boy, couldn't Tim Hortons have just paid them out? How many tens of thousands of dollars that would have been, rather than suffer the, uh, the bad publicity that they've gotten? Now people aren't going to feel like they can rely on the Tim Hortons app. Should have stuck with the rims themselves. Okay, so I looked through this a little bit. There is, uh, the, Tim Hortons has the official rules and regulations for the contest. 28 pages long. You have to click through a few, way, a few layers to get to it. And on page 20 of that, they talk about giving away 10 thousand dollar American Express cards actually the ten thousand dollar daily prize doesn't appear in these official rules and regulations so that's a little peculiar they uh, Tim Hortons says they retain all of the intellectual property on all of the app data okay but that they're not responsible for lost instant prizes or draw messages that's interesting right so on the one hand if you if you win mistakenly, as some of these people did, then Tim Hortons can say, all right, you know, nope, you didn't, uh, and uh, you're just going to have to trust us on this one. But if you, if you win and then you lose the, you know, you lose the message, your phone crashes, something happens, but Tim Hortons still knows that you won because they have it on their end, they're not responsible. They will not give you the prize at that point. Um, so that uh, doesn't seem fair that Tim Hortons trying to have it both ways. On uh, 
page 26, they give themselves another out on page 26, which is to say if more prizes are claimed than are stated to be available. So with each one of their prizes, they say, all right, there's 10,000 of these available, there's 100 of these available, whatever. If more people win than they've stated in these 28 pages of rules are available, then they'll do a draw among the people who seem to have won to claim the remaining number of prizes, but they won't go over the number. Also seems unfair, if you control the app data, don't you then control how many potential winners there might be? Uh, again, this uh, seems like a big problem for Tim Hortons. And then with these $10,000 wins, if there's a limited number of prizes available and so many people seem to have won or thought they win, why not at least do the draw? Like all they've, they've done for these people that thought they won $10,000 is give them a $50 gift card, which is really insulting. So uh, anyway, there's these erroneous notifications. They do talk about erroneous notifications and that the sponsor determines, sponsor being Tim Hortons, at their sole, dis their sole discretion. But here's the thing, here's the caveat, it, but these, they can determine it on the basis of its official records. So, what does that mean? To me, it means that Tim Hortons is obligated to at least disclose uh, to these possible winners, if not to the public in general, that they're Show us the official records then. Show us, uh, you know, how you've made this decision that this was a mistake based on your official records. That's what it says in, in their terms and policies, their official rules and regulations, that uh, yes, there can be erroneous, erroneous notifications, but uh, they have to use their official records. So let's see what those official records reveal. And I think uh, these people... Shouldn't be the end of the story as far as Tim Hortons is concerned. A big rich company, give these people their money. Okay, uh, next story. I'm going to talk about the uh, uh, Kevin O'Brien case. Kevin O'Brien is a retired RCMP officer in Nova Scotia. Was in the news this week at a trial, a criminal trial, of uh, allegation of sexual assault against a fellow officer. All right. That's not that unusual, perhaps. The unusual part unusual part is that the allegation is from 1994. So it's a 29-year-old allegation. The uh, alleged victim, complainant, says that she recalled this at therapy. She was uh, receiving therapy for PTSD. And in therapy in 2017, recalled this incident. Didn't go to the police right away either. Went to the police in 2020 as part of her treatment. Uh, Denise Boudreaux, uh, Justice Denise Boudreaux, is the judge in the case. Stan McDonald for the defense and Stephen Anstey for the Crown. Uh, the defense, of course, is saying that these are uh, mem these so-called memories are actually just uh, constructs arising from therapy and not true memories. There was some problems with it. There was a witness. This was a part. So a party after a shift. Uh, after a shift, it wasn't unusual apparently for these officers to go to somebody's house, have a few drinks, and in this case, it was uh, the early morning after a night shift. They were back at the alleged uh, victim's place. Uh, the story is that the two officers went into a bathroom and came out a short time later. 
she, uh, you know, the, he said to somebody else, nothing happened. Uh, sounds like one of the witnesses that was in the room also didn't think anything happened. And so now we are, here we are almost 30 years later and allegations that people are trying to remember. So it looks like he'll be found not guilty. The judge has reserved her decision. I suspect the reason the decision was reserved, although it's a serious charge, so that's one reason you just do that anyway, but uh, she'll want to carefully craft her decision to make sure she's avoiding any rape myths. There was one issue that came up during the trial where defense counsel was asking the alleged victim, well, you know, you're trained in self-defense, how come you didn't do anything if, uh, you know, you, if this was happening against your will? And there was an objection from the Crown that that was uh, getting into rape myth territory, that not everybody, you know, fights back, defends themselves under those circumstances, and you can't assume things based on somebody's behavior uh, in that regard. So, um, yes, the judge is going to have to be careful to, if, if as I think, uh, just from reading the, uh, the news articles, that she's going to acquit uh, Mr. O'Brien, that she does so in a way that doesn't rely on rape myths such as the myth that people uh, should fight back. Okay, so there's that trial. Last thing I want to talk about is the uh, Tracy Kitch appeal. This was the former CEO of the IWK. Tracy Kitch uh, hired uh, with great, you know, some, some fanfare and lots of uh, big pay, and so that was all in the news. And then she was fired over using corporate credit card for what were alleged to be personal expenses and charged with a crime for doing so. So she was char not only charged, but convicted, convicted of fraud over $5,000. And so has appealed this. Now the allegations are, you know, she would go to Toronto uh, for a meeting and stay for the weekend and visit family, visit friends. And so that was in some interpretation, uh, personal expense. Well, uh, her, uh, so this was interesting in a sense because the Court of Appeal broadcast the appeal. They uh, live streamed it. It was Justices uh, Farrar, uh, Dave Farrar, and Derek, and Justice Carol Beaton. Here in the case, uh, Brian Greenspan, a uh, well-known lawyer based out of Toronto, criminal lawyer, uh, high profile, uh, was arguing on behalf of Ms. Kitch, and uh, Erica Karasawa, was arguing on behalf of the Crown. A uh, big mismatch in experience vis-a-vis uh, -vis, uh, Brian Greenspan, certainly. Uh, Erica Karasawa called to the bar in 2015, so not that long ago, less than 10 years. But from my listen to both of the arguments, I thought she did a fine job. Uh, and the judges actually, uh, Justice Derek, pointed out to her as well, you know, you're, you're a fine advocate, but, uh, you know, you're trying to help us infer things from the trial decision uh, from Judge Scoville uh, that weren't in there. And so I wasn't surprised when the uh, Court of Appeal justices came back after their break and gave a decision from the bench that they were, uh, uh, the appeal should be allowed. In other words, uh, the conviction was quashed and it was sent back for a new trial. Basically, what part of uh, Greenspan's argument was you know, some of these things were considered, though there was a forensic audit and Grant Thornton, the accountants that were doing it, would 
look at a meeting and if the meeting in Toronto was less than two hours long they wouldn't consider it business related uh, so there was that was one thing so some of these trips she would go up and she would actually have a meeting and then she would fly back on maybe on the Monday instead of flying back later that Friday well it's the same expense whether you fly back on Friday night Saturday morning or Monday or whatever right so uh, that in his view and I think in the Court of Appeals view didn't undermine the character of that expense and uh, there are lots of examples like that and by the way the IWK had a policy for paying back personal use anything that was done for personal use so it would seem to flow that such personal use was expected permitted and part of the corporate culture at the IWK I think the court is going to agree with that as well when they release their written decision and you know fraud requires an attempt to get away with something and uh, Tracy Kitch was uh, upfront about her use she was open about it and you know there was staff involved and it wasn't always clear you know it, whether uh, you know if she was she was happy to reimburse things if they were supposed to be reimbursed didn't seem like criminal behavior uh, to me and I think the uh, the Court of Appeal agreed interesting in the uh, in both the defense and crown submissions they were referencing the Mike Duffy case and uh, although they where Duffy was uh, ultimately uh, cleared of, of uh, a crime where it was involving personal use and some shenanigans with uh, expense accounts but uh, the crown suggested this was a distinct case uh, don't think the judges are going to agree with that anyway that was a it was unfortunate for miss kitch that she had to go through all this that now she's been cleared of it but uh, that's the decision from the court of appeal interesting to watch the arguments uh, take place uh, edward greenspan a famous lawyer uh, come down he uh, he spoke quite well i thought um, but uh, Erica Karasawa as well for the Crown did a very good job. So um, anyway, those were those are some of the big cases of the week. I like it when the Court of Appeal does these broadcasts of the uh, of the hearings. They're pretty interesting to watch, and you can get a good sense um, of uh, what the decisions were. Uh, all of that from the advocacy from the uh, from the lawyers. So. Next time, if you're not following the courts on Twitter, <laughs> that I'd encourage you maybe to do so. I certainly do. And so when these broadcasts come along, which aren't that often, more usually for the high-profile cases, uh, they, do, uh, they do broadcast those, so they're, uh, they're fun to watch. Okay, so uh, that's it for this week's uh, edition of the Rogers Brief. Uh, well, thank everybody for watching. hope everybody's uh, looking forward to a nice March break. We'll be... Um, looking over some case law next week and seeing what uh, comes up over the break of interest there's always something each week and i'll bring you my thoughts on whatever stories make the news uh, in canadian nova scotia international law over the next week and so until then uh, thank you for watching and thank you for listening and we'll see you next time